Hello and welcome to another episode of Pod Civility. I'm Robert Daniel. I'm Sarthik Sharma. This week on Pod Civility, we're going to revisit the French election, talk about Sally Yates' testimony, and then we're going to dovetail into a really light subject, immigration, and basically how to solve America's immigration problem. That's it. Welcome to Pod Civility. First up, the French election revisited. So earlier uh, this week, this past weekend, Emmanuel Macron won his election against Marie Le Pen, something we discussed a few weeks ago. And this is a tremendous result for all of those that love freedom and the good life in this world. It really did look like the type of election I think the pollsters expected uh, to have occurred in the U.S. back in November. This is what Hillary Clinton was supposed to do to Donald Trump, but completely failed to do. Emmanuel Macron won, I think, with about 60... 65. 65-ish percent of the vote, which is a tremendous amount. And I, and I think the notable thing, the thing that separates what happened there, obviously, there are a lot of differences, but what separates um, him post the first round of elections was that the more moderate conservative candidates uh, rallied against... Uh, Marie Le Pen and urged their supporters to not vote for her because she was so extreme. That was something we didn't quite see in the United States. It's really interesting if you look at the electoral map of France and how uh, the different regions voted, for the most part the northern and uh, northeastern parts of France that very much resemble kind of the Midwest or some of the Rust Belt states here in the US, they went overwhelmingly for Le Pen as was expected. It was that moderate uh, difference, the moderate part of the electoral map in France that represented the middle and the, the southern portions that shifted and went for Macron, as people expected, there. But that didn't happen when we had the election with Donald Trump here. One of the things I thought was really interesting was the um, arrondissement or the district in Paris where the Bataclan... Way to use the, the French terms here. I, had to I, I, I practiced in. that and I hope it went over well. But the district where the Bataclan, which was the concert venue that was um, the subject of a, a terrorist attack in Paris, that district actually voted for Macron. And so, you know, kind of going against what people might expect, you know, obviously a district that's encountered uh, radical Islamic terrorism face to face, um, but yet still voting for a candidate that supports um, a country being with the European Union as opposed to the strong um, nationalist policies that Marie Le Pen espoused. This is really even a bigger issue when you look at it from that wider lens because for a lot of people maybe this is just an election in one European country but really if you look at the last couple of years this has been that kind of the the crest of the wave of populism that has been going all over uh, Eastern Europe and really the, the first world. This was kind of the stopgap. I mean, if if we had seen a nationalist leader um, elected in France after the fall of Britain, like we talked about in an earlier episode, certainly you would have seen a large push um, against the European Union and perhaps um, had enough support to kind of push Angela Merkel out and, you know, kind of demolish the European Union as we know it, which would have had severe economic consequences. Luckily, uh, we avoided that, and I, I think the markets will respond favorably, and I think that ultimately, um, if Macron is able to, and they have five-year terms in France, if Macron is able to um, 
still pursue policies that kind of revisit some of the um, some of the some of the ways that French citizens have felt disconnected from the European Union. If he can still change some of those things, or at least build an economy that has um, some more economic uplifting factors for people who have felt um, disenfranchised from the turn in globalization. It's funny I because think- he really hasn't been so much of a change candidate. He talks a lot about change, but for a lot of the French uh, populace, he represents continuity, which is the, a phrase that uh, Marine Le Pen also used. He was just enough change in the fact that he was super young. Um, he's the youngest French president to ever be elected, and he didn't run on a particular party. He created his own party. Um, yeah, the, the fall of the kind of stalwart French uh, parties has really been marked here because both of the, the big parties in France fell um, to here we have Marine Le Pen's National Front and then uh, Macron's party. So I guess they, they did want change, but maybe what Le Pen was bringing to the table was a little bit of the history that France wants to shy away from. Sure, she's bringing change. Absolutely. And I think that some of this also too, I mean, it's hard to measure this, but some of it feels as if it's a whiplash response to um, France seeing the fact that we elected Donald Trump, um, seeing the, um, you know his rise here um, and the effect that that has had on our country. I think it might have dissuaded um, some of the voters in France from going with Marie Le Pen. And also you had an interesting aspect, President Obama coming out in favor of Macron and taping an ad for him because, of course, Barack Obama is the most popular politician in the country of France. Do you think Barack Obama giving him kind of the the Obama bump that went over well enough to give him the edge or was that just something else that increased his poll numbers by a little bit? I I think it helped a little bit. I don't think it, it won him an election. I don't think it swung him an election. I think that... Um, at ultimately, at the end of the day, Marie Le Pen was was too extreme, and she represents um, a return to a, a violent history in France that I think a majority of the populace remembers distinctively and wishes not to return to. The French really have uh, a very deeply ingrained sense of embarrassment over the years during World War II when their government was allied with the Nazis. Whether that's by force or anything else, they still did go over to the Nazi side and participate in a lot of the atrocities that the Nazis carried out. And the National Front is a party that was very much okay with that. That's where they felt that France did an okay job. And Marine Le Pen's father was an out-and-out Holocaust denier. He was someone that didn't feel that uh, the Jewish people had a home in France. And Marine Le Pen, while her beliefs weren't as extreme, she still felt... So, or she still had remnants of that belief system. An example of that being that she would ban uh, Jewish people, for example, from wearing yarmulkes uh, in public or ban uh, Muslim women from wearing burqas. It's this idea of a pure France that the National Front represented uh, that really seems like pulled the election away from them. And ultimately, um, all the negative potential drawbacks of, of electing someone like Marie Le Pen were avoided. And so um, that is a a huge win for the stability of Western Europe, a huge win for institutions that preserve um, peace in Western Europe, and hopefully um, a victory for France and their ability to grow their economy in a way that doesn't um, also um, inflame nationalistic uh, pride and intensity. And it helps uh, keep the euro alive. 
a lot of French people, the majority of French citizens like the euro and they want that to stay around. And Marine Le Pen would not have been someone that would be very much in favor of the European Union and the idea of open borders. And on a personal note, I mean, no one likes to go to Europe and have to have their passport checked at every airport they go to. I mean, certainly, um, you know, it's nice to be able to cross the borders with ease. It's just a, it's just a plus. It, it, it is a plus. I mean, it is. It's undeniably a plus. But ultimately, the French avoided a catastrophe, dismissed Marie Le Pen and her extremist ideology, um, and it was a victory um, for the Western world. Speaking about victories. Victories. Personal victories. Election victories. Sally Yates testified in Congress today. She did. We're here podcasting on May 8th. Sally Yates Day. Sally Sally Yates Day. A day that will live in infamy. And here's the thing. Before probably late December. No one January, knew. No, no one knew who Sally Yates knew, was. We knew. We knew Sally Yates. We knew who she was we because did. we here at Pod Civility know the inside track, folks. We knew. That is not true. What What really happened was that Sally Yates was invited to speak at our commencement. Basically about a year ago... Um, we both shook Sally Yates' hand, which means that we are... Are we um, just tied We have sh- her? We shook the hand that smacked down several senators today. And what a smackdown it was. Well, I mean, honestly, I, it's worthy of an ESPN announcer that recently got laid off. Maybe they could come, you know, on the pod and announce this type of smackdown for us. Because I don't know if we can quite do it justice. Really, one of the most fun experiences I've had in the last two months was just hitting update on my Twitter feed for the hashtag Sally Yates. I'll be honest today. There are a few days each year where Twitter just reaches this like critical mass, incredible level of like commentary and humor and, you know, the and memes and the memes are flying. I mean, 2017 is the year of the meme. I saw a lot of dumpster fire memes today. And honestly, if there was going to be a mascot for 2017, it might in fact be the dumpster fire, except for France. You're immune to dumpster fires, apparently. Should we talk about what she did that caused these dumpster fires? That might be important. I'm concerned that if we talk about what Sally Yates did, we might earn ourselves an explicit rating on iTunes, which we're trying to avoid, folks. By our very name, we are trying to avoid. We are. We cannot be both explicit and civil. But okay, let's try to let's but try to at least hit a couple. We're going to hit a couple points here. Did. So Sally Yates was testifying today um, about her interactions with the White House and the Trump administration regarding Michael Flynn. And for people who maybe have been sitting under a rock, or have just completely tuned out of politics. And if you have, more power proud you. of yes, you. Yes, Kudos congratulations. You. I, you're doing things that are very difficult to do, and you're doing them well. I think I wish that I had been one of those people. Instead, of, instead of hiding under a rock, we bought a microphone and started a podcast. So Mistakes were made. We're doing the opposite. But here we are. So Sally Yates was an assistant attorney general for the United States. That's basically the number two person at the Department of Justice. Right. And that is why, one, she earned a spot at our commencement address but two, that also meant uh, that when the actual attorney general was out of the picture, she was to step up as the acting, the temporary uh, attorney general until a replacement was or if uh, a replacement was found. Now, here's where some people in this story will want you to believe a fact that simply is not true. They will want to suggest that Sally Yates was nominated by the Obama administration and thus she is a partisan person. 
Now, that's just not true. She was nominated by Barack Obama, but she has served under Republican administrations as a federal prosecutor in Atlanta, and she also has a reputation of enforcing the law equally without partisan um, well, should we just, shouldn't we just judge her by the last person she worked for? I mean, exactly, folks. Are we really going to be that simple? I mean, maybe if we're governing 140 characters at a time, that might be it. But we're not doing that here at Pod Civility. Other people are doing that. And with that being said, while she was acting Attorney General of the United States, drama was unfolding in the White House. Michael Flynn, who has a nefarious relationship with Russia, to say the least. He's traveled to Russia several times. He's taken money from RT, which is essentially a Russian propaganda arm. Um, he's gone to meetings where he sat at the same table as Vladimir Putin, obviously the current arch nemesis of the Western world. Um, he has had these conversations with the Russian ambassador, ambassador Kislyak. Um, Kislyak is often alleged to be uh, more than an ambassador, but to be someone who is actively seeking um, spy contacts in Washington, D.C. for Russia. Um, he's whining and dining and um, investing money in people and trying to gain their trust and then leverage that trust in a way that influences um, that aspects That sounds of shady. That sounds like something you shouldn't do. It just sounds like somebody you might not want to hang out with. There are a lot of social people in D.C. If you want to grab a drink with somebody... There are other people besides the Russian ambassador, Michael Flynn. That's fair. That's I mean, fair. I know Michael Flynn just must not be a cool guy. He must and I do, get I do want to give a little bit of background to dispel an issue that has has really popped up, kind of as a as a tangential oh, issue. Well, go for go for so it. So, yeah. Michael Flynn did work for the Obama administration. Correct. I don't think there's anyone saying, well, he didn't didn't work for them. And he was also vetted by the Obama administration for security clearance. Correct. Again. No one is denying that. He was also fired by the Obama administration. Right. And he had, a he had a lower position correct. In, that, in the Obama White House than he did in the Trump he White House. He was working with the, the, as the director of um, national intelligence, I believe. Right. Um, and his role in the Trump White House is a much more senior role. Being the national security advisor is the lead national security advisor for the president of the United States. You and the president are working side by side. You're with the president daily advising him on every national security interest of the United States. So, so why does that matter? It matters because when you get a higher level position in the White House, there needs to be more, as Trump would uh, use the phrase, extreme vetting. I mean, you gotta, ex you, there has to be extreme Especially vetting. Especially when you've been fired by yeah. your last employer. And it came out today that during the um, lovely sit-down conversation that the former President Barack Hussein Obama had with Donald J. Trump. We're just dropping the word Hussein. In well, the, I just, uh, you know, I, I just, I wanted, I wanted it to come out, so it did. But Barack Obama warned Donald Trump. This has now come out uh, t earlier today. He warned Donald Trump not to hire Michael Flynn. Michael but, Flynn is a shady character, folks. Which sounds like a mistake on President Obama's, uh, Obama's side because... He should have known that Trump was going to do the opposite. Exactly. He should have reversed, you know, he should have done the reverse psychology. Guy. He should have said, I'll tell Donald Trump um, the reverse of what I want him to do. Flynn's your I guy. No. Flynn, Flynn is your guy, Donald. Donald, you got to go with Flynn. Old Flynny boy. And uh, does anyone call him that? Do people uh, call him? Is he known by that? He is known by that. Comrade, comrade Flynn. Comrade, yeah, Comrade Flynn might be might be the better term. Misha, uh, he actually so, goes by Misha. So with all this background, with all this background, Sally Yates 
learned about all of these uh, issues that Flynn, all this baggage, international baggage that Flynn carried with him. And she learned that he had, ha he had been having conversations with the Russian ambassador, specifically discussing sanctions um, and the lifting, of, potential lifting of sanctions. And she let the Trump administration know, and she didn't do it via tweet. She did not tweet. She didn't slide into Donald Trump's DMs, although that might have been a better way to get the message across. That's true. Instead, she did it the old-fashioned way, which was put together a really well-thought-out presentation about what the contacts were, why they're important, how they could create a potential conflict of interest, how they could possibly lead to Flynn being blackmailed by the Russians, and then finally why he should not be retained by the White House, and then delivered that message for, by herself, like from her mouth to the Trump administration. She did it face to face. She went to the White House. Um, and the reason this was important was because um, D Michael Flynn had told um, the vice president, Michael Pence, that uh, Mike Pence, excuse me, that um, that there was no discussion of san sanctions, and Sally Yates knew that that was not correct, and so that created this dynamic where the Russians also knew that it wasn't correct and could potentially blackmail him because you know they had a take. And shockingly, this Sally Yates, this quote-unquote partisan hack that a lot of different outlets have have called her, wanted to protect and the defend. reputation of the vice president. Uh, by going and, and kind of letting him know, letting the administration know what the issue was. And here's the thing. There are a lot of phrases that you could use to describe what she did with the administration. You could use it as a presentation, a thorough debriefing. A term I would not use would be a, quote, heads up. Yeah, a heads up is like, oh, hey, I'm going to be in your neighborhood. Are you home? That's a, that's a quick heads up. That's a heads oh, up. hey, I'm going to Walmart. You need me to pick up some delicious clementines. That's a heads up. Like... Uh, going over to the White House face-to-face -face and telling the White House counsel that the National Security Advisor might be compromised by the Russian government, that's not a heads up. Now, that's like a, your house is on fire, call the fire department. Who would use a term like heads up? Who would, who, I mean, no one, absolutely no one with no intimate knowledge. Person, the only person who would use the phrase heads up would be somebody who was confined oh, to 140 characters. Wait, wait, wait. Sean Spicer is the press secretary. Oh, we forgot. Sean Spicer of previous pod civility fame is in fact the press secretary still. Beats me why, but he is. And he used the term heads up when reporters asked him, why Sally or what Sally Yates was doing with the Trump administration? What information was she giving them? What was the the thoroughness of her uh, of her presentation? Well, it was just a heads up. It was just a quick heads up. She just came over and said, "Hey, uh, I was just stopping by. I was in the neighborhood. Uh, here's some information about how your national security advisor might be compromised by um, a government against our interests." And it was it was fairly well known through leaks from the White House that Sally Yates had done more. Today, those leaks were confirmed. She did a lot more. She went the extra mile. As an acting attorney general, she did her job to really the most of, of her ability and went and did all of this to help out a White House that could fire her that was actively looking for a replacement. And that all came out today in the testimony. And some senators, like Lindsey Graham, applauded her for that. And Ben Sass. And, and Ben Sass. We have to give credit where credit is due. At Pod Civility, we will give you credit. Sure, Republican, are, Democrat, I mean, if it's you're reasonable, equal opportunity. If you're civil, you get an award on Pod Civility. However... There are others, other senators among them who were less civil, were less logical in the way they went about it. Mainly, Ted Cruz. Ted Cruz. Ted, Ted Cruz. Cruz. 
Now, Ted Cruz has a lot of... Is he still salty? Do you think he's still salty? I, I think he's still salty from okay. the fact that Donald there's Trump... Just, there's so many other flavors out I, there. I mean, I mean, Ted Cruz, you just want to avoid him at all costs. Um, Sometimes I kind of just want to give him a hug. I mean, honestly, I think he probably needs that. Um, I think he'd yell at me. He probably would. and I, he may or, not, or try to deport he, me. He may be so emotionally detached that he's just so unavailable for any type of physical, you know. Sure. So, well, I, I try not to think about any physical interaction. I, well, with, I mean, Ted Cruz. you know, me as well. But what it's, what... it's horrible when you're Ted Cruz and you're often uh, referred to as the Zodiac Killer because of a certain likeness. That you have that that is that's a cutting that's like a middle school that, is that out of bounds is that insult. as an insult is that out of bounds I don't say that I'm not repeating that insult yeah. to like carry with it the that's same such belief a, that that's such true. a Trump thing to do I, I'm not I, I stand by nothing okay well yeah that's what that is I I will plead the Trump on this I stand by nothing as well I'm just saying many people are saying that he also resembles many the Zodiac people are saying many people well what Ted Cruz was saying today. Uh, was basically an out-and-out challenge of Sally Yates. And it wasn't a substantive challenge first, at least first, about what information it was that she relayed to Donald Trump or really the Russian issue. This is what's outrageous, folks. This is a hearing about how a foreign government intervened in our electoral democratic process. And Ted Cruz wants to ask her a legal question about defending a Muslim ban. Now, I'm not calling it a Muslim ban. Donald Trump is, in fact, calling it a Muslim ban on his website until they took it down earlier though today. His counsel, though his counsel argued to judges it was not a Muslim ban. Now, it's not a ban. We just don't allow certain people from certain countries who have certain beliefs to come inside. And funny thing about judges, it's not a ban. funny thing about judges, even those judges in the Ninth Circuit, Right, it, it, is that they have access to information and are pretty smart people. Yeah, like if you call it a ban on your website, they might think, hey. If you call it a ban. It's a ban. If you call it a ban in front of 100 cameras and the American people, someone is probably going to think you mean a Muslim ban. And it's weird because some judges have this ability to, you know, uh, decipher the difference between what you say and what you mean. And here's what really happened to kind of get to the, the root of the issue. So Ted Cruz challenged Sally Yates not on what she knew about Russia, but on the precedent of the uh, of the Muslim ban, uh, saying that, well, the Immigration Naturalization Act gave broad powers to the president to be able to enact bans and to keep certain groups of people out. Now that, when he said that, I'm sure a lot of people listening were probably thinking, they, whoa. They thought, oh my God. Hashtag got her. Ted Cruz has got her. This Cue up it. the meme, Ted Cruz has finished Sally Yates. And there are a lot of lawyers out there that may have capitulated to that kind of pressure. They may have cowered in fear of Supreme Court clerk Ted Cruz. <laughs> and Sally Yates did not. Right. She took it the other way. She, she did not only match them. She, match threw, them. she threw it back. She threw it back. Full so force. She she quoted, she did a very clinical job of clinical. Clinical of addressing his concern, his statutory citation saying yes that is accurate however there's this other part of the statute that you neglected to include that came later senator cruz yeah that came later and, that came later and actually yeah. trumps the part of the statute you read and she used the word trumps folks because sally yates was she throwing shade was it what, just inadvertent is she just so good that it's effortless we don't mm. know but we have the clip for you here. So I hope you're ready. I hope if you're driving, you're Make sure your seatbelt's not, not a lot of traffic. Keep your seatbelt on. 
Avoid I-85. Just be careful because this might, it might, it might scare you. It's a lot of hype. It's a lot of hype. class of aliens into the United States would be detrimental to the interests of the United States. He may, by proclamation and for such period as he shall deem necessary, suspend the entry of all aliens or any class of aliens as immigrants or non-immigrants or impose on the entry of aliens any restrictions he may deem appropriate. Would you agree that that is broad statutory authorization? I would, and I am familiar with that, and I'm also familiar with an additional provision of the INA that says no person shall receive preference or be discriminated against in issuance of a visa because of race, nationality, or place of birth. That, I believe, was promulgated after the statute that you just quoted, and that's been part of the discussion with the courts with respect to the INA is whether this more specific statute trumps the first one that you just described. Wow. Wow is right. I, I was this close to putting a rap beat behind her when she did that. I really don't think that needed a rap beat. I think that she was capable of spitting fire without any kind of beat helping her out. I think if we put a rap beat behind that, your stereo might explode in your car or your head. And we don't want that. We don't want that. Because that means you can't listen to the next pod. Exactly. And we're all about repeat listening here. Absolutely. Uh, so that with that being said, yeah, that was bad. That um, That sounded really academic. But one thing you'll notice, if you it really, if you listen to the entirety of that, is when he was first talking before she got a chance in, he did not stutter one time. He knew exactly what he wanted to say, and he got it out. After that answer, he was all he was completely out of sorts. He was it, a little flustered. Yeah, it was best viewed. If you get to if you get a chance to watch a clip of that, watch the clip because his facial expressions change markedly. And obviously, be prepared for his face. Yes, uh, trigger warning. Yeah, just, Tr trigger just, warning. We live in an age where people are triggered. If you're in a safe space, you may want to avoid. blur his face. Yes, yes. Speaking of safe spaces, oh, it's a terrible transition. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not. It's not a terrible transition. So, speaking of of safe spaces, there have been many cities across the U.S. Uh, that people have termed sanctuary cities. Safe spaces, if you will. Right, safe spaces for. Uh, illegal immigrants, people that uh, have come, tried to find a new life, as one side would say, or others that are breaking laws and taking people's jobs, the other side would say. Therein lies kind of the complexity of the issue in a very, very brief nutshell. Um, people are approaching this issue from dramatically different perspectives. One, um, a very legal rules-based perspective, and one, a slightly more moral perspective that recognizes people have been here for a while. Um, and it may not be easy to simply pick them up and drop them back. Well, you use the word complexity, and I think that is really a key word that uh, defines this debate because one side is a lot more simplistic in their approach, which doesn't necessarily mean it's wrong, and the other side is very complicated in the way that they look at it. So, But what happened this week about sanctuary cities? So this, this week we had a Facebook Live event, maybe unlike a lot of Facebook Live events. Usually Facebook Live is somebody that's about to do a skateboard trick. That somebody at a house party that they feel is appropriately lit enough to be broadcast on social media. Parkour. Parkour, if you will. Maybe a cool sporting event you're at. This, this, was, was, not, this was none of those this things. This was none of those things. No, instead, we had uh, Governor Greg Abbott, uh, Republican of the great state of Texas. Where Ted Cruz is also from. He is from there. 
So it was uh, not a great. Texas, it's not a Texas, great week for Texas. <laughs> Texas has a lot of great things going on. Texans are barbecue. People. We have Austin, many friends from Texas. Longhorns. Hopefully, we have some listeners from Texas. Hopefully, we aspire to have Texas listeners. Well, now that we have said Texas about a hundred different times, Texas, Texas, uh, Governor Greg Abbott signed into law a ban on sanctuary cities. That that sounds really simple. What does uh, it mean? You can't be a sanctuary city anymore. But what is, what does that actually mean, right? It's really simple to say a city can no longer be a sanctuary for illegal immigrants. That plays well, especially when you look at a really easy definition of what a sanctuary city is, is one city that protects illegal immigrants um, and those illegal immigrants go on to harm the everyday you know, citizens of that city and of the country and take your jobs. Okay, an important aside for me real quick, sorry to slightly derail. There's a problem in our national conversation with immigration that is coming from some of the uh, current leaders that we have where they take incidents of violence and they take incidents of absolutely abhorrent activity and they apply those incidents to a group of people as a whole. Something we should not do. Something that is easy to slip into because it fits perfectly with an us versus them mentality and it's an intellectually cheap way out. And so I, I would like to say as an important aside that we need to stop doing this. We, need to, we would not do this for people of African American heritage. We would not do this for white people. We should not do this for Hispanic people. Are there bad Hispanic people? Yes. Are there bad white people? Yes. Should we judge them all because of the acts of few? Absolutely not. And you know what? Let me, I'm going to back up what you just said. So there's uh, just a recent issue in Maryland where there's a Maryland student, uh, Henry Sanchez Millon, I think his name was, uh, an 18-year-old, um, and his friend, I think, Jose uh, Montano. Yeah, Jose Montano. They were charged with rape, and the, the White House and the executive branch and a lot of the probably more, Sean Spicer probably Sean Spicer used those charges uh, to talk about why we needed a more stringent immigration policy why we needed to keep the undocumented immigrants out and here's the thing right so one before anything else it's really important to understand that if you've been accused of a crime that does not mean you did that crime you've merely been accused we have rights in this country we have a constitution in this country, and that constitution guarantees a day in court if you've been uh, charged with any kind of crime to actually see if you're guilty or not. Second, I think it is a little abhorrent that someone would use such a tragic event, if this had truly happened, which we'll get to in a second, to just further their own political ends. Which is what this had... Which is exactly what this became. Everything has just turned into this political point, you know, tit-for-tat situation, and here, this came back to bite uh, the White House because the prosecutors dismissed all charges because they couldn't find any evidence that would support a verdict beyond a reasonable doubt. But what the prosecutors needed. can't dismiss is the fact that Donald Trump and, the, and several other Republicans highlighted this story as just another point in their argument that supports their immigration policy. So cycling back to cycling back to sanctuary in, cities in Texas and sanctuary cities, right? Again, simplistically, it is very easy to want illegal immigrants out because they quote unquote broke take our jobs. They broke the law. They are law breaking by their very definition. They are illegal immigrants. But the topic is a lot more complicated when you think about what a sanctuary city is and how that status 
works, how, it, how anything in that city gets done. And to give a little bit of a primer, uh, and Robert, stop me if this just goes off the rails. So when you have a sanctuary city, what that means is that when someone gets picked up, you know, let's say his name's John, uh, gets picked up and is, uh, is arrested or taken in, uh, into custody, that person's information is run by the FBI database. That is law. That's, that's federal law. Everyone has to do it. So if something comes up, like a, pre like a prior crime, any kind of record, then that record could be used uh, and is, you know, that information is updated. When that information is updated, ICE, uh, Immigrations and Custom Enforcement, is also paying attention to those records and they run a check to see if that person is an undocumented immigrant. Uh, if that person is, or at least is suspected of being undocumented, what they do is send uh, what's called a detainer request to the officials that arrested John, whoever uh, is arrested, and ask them to detain this person for an extra, I believe, 48 hours. So the uh, official has it in that person's capacity, the police officer, uh, the, the sheriff, in that person's capacity whether to hold this person for that extra time and wait for ICE to come. What a sanctuary city does is it forbids the law enforcement officials from uh, working with ICE and detaining this person. What Governor Abbott has just done is make that illegal, is make it illegal for law enforcement not to comply. And the fine is something like $25,000 a day uh, if a law enforcement official doesn't comply with an ICE detainer request. And what are your thoughts on, on that detainer request? So many thoughts. Well, first of all, something that's interesting that should be noted is Donald Trump in his, um, well, first of all, he's stuck to his policy, so to speak. He has um, kind of pushed the sanctuary city issue into the national spotlight to try and prevent um, cities from being sanctuary cities. He's threatened to revoke federal funding to cities and states that have sanctuary cities um, or that do not um, relay that information back to ICE. Um, but he's done this under the guise of what he said in the debates as um, getting rid of the bad hombres. That's a direct quote. Um, and, and if you're a Trump supporter, a mazel tov, right? Not to introduce a third language to this, but mazel tov. <laughs> Here we go. Because he is sticking to uh, his guns on that the, one. This is one of those rare instances where he actually has kind of done what he said he was going to do in, in some part. Um, but what's ironic is that when you have... Um, a problem like immigration and you and you um, arrest or um, stop people in traffic by the thousands um, each year um, you really have to allocate your resources because you can't it, it costs a great deal of money to deport an individual um, and so the Obama administration faced this, a same you know issue and they decided that they were going to prioritize violent criminals um, which is again ironic because Donald Trump's whole thing is bad hombres but it appears as if... What's a um, bad hombre? Well, a right? bad hombre would be someone who, you know, didn't just get stopped for following too closely and driving without a license, and then they ran an ice, ran a check and then reported it to ICE, and then that guy, while he um, works a job and puts his kids through school or whatever it may be... Wait, you're saying that illegal immigrants provide anything to the economy? Not only do they provide, they pay sales tax, and I'm sure they'd love to pay more taxes if we could craft a pathway well, to, so here's the to thing, legalization. Well, so here's With that being said... I am honestly surprised that Donald Trump or some other Republican governor has not come out and said something similar to what Trump said about healthcare, which is that, quote, no one knew it was so complicated. Immigration oh, is very complicated. Oh, I'm quite sure that moment's coming. Um, it'll, it'll come when he can't get the funding for the wall or when the wall looks like it has a lot of 
mile um, size holes in it. And immigration is complicated in the same way healthcare is complicated because the policy is inherently talking about people and their well-being. Exactly. It's, it's just not as simple as saying, are we going to build an aircraft carrier, yes or no? Um, are we going to you know, try and go to the moon or whatever it may be in terms of budgeting issues? It's a lot more complicated because even the smallest um, policy changes, which people um, you know, who are just trying to score political points miss, is that those small subtle changes in like, do we, do we um, update someone's status when they get pulled over for a traffic stop can ultimately lead to the deportation of a father or mother who actually has um, American citizens as children. And here at the pod, we really love examples. So let me give you kind of a, a hypothetical that might help to show a little bit of light as to why this is so complicated. Now imagine if John is in trouble yet again. And John, I mean, he's, he's really having some tough luck here. But let's say John is driving, he gets pulled over for a speeding ticket. That Which is, we, we've all, we all yeah, speed. Yeah, everybody speeds. I, I, if the NSA is listening, I don't speed. So John gets pulled over for allegedly speeding and the police officer runs that information, right? And ICE sees that this, that this person might be undocumented. Uh, for some reason, he gets, he gets arrested. That word, if, if ICE sends a detainer request and the police have to, by law, hold him for ICE and this person ends up getting deported, it's n that's not the end of the issue. Right? It seems like, okay, well, that's it. Like, we're done. This person that committed an illegal offense is now out of the country. How dare he speed? He will never speed again, not on these roads, which are falling apart. What is really going to happen is word about that is going to spread to the rest of the community. Which, Information about that police officer is going to spread. Which to the makes rest sense. Of, right, it's it, exactly it what we would do. If there was a speed, speed trap in some part of the area where we you know, we're having to travel, we would tell our friends, you would tell your friends. And if a police officer is on the warpath of having any person that's detained get uh, not just a ticket for speeding, but also deported out of the country, that information is going to get to other, uh, other people in the community. And especially when the entire department or city has that policy, what happens is that community starts fearing, doesn't respect, but fears law enforcement and doesn't work with law enforcement. Law enforcement, whether it's a prosecutor, police officer, sheriff, what have you, needs the support of the community to be able to enforce the laws on the books, whether that person in the community is a legal or illegal immigrant, because that's not going to stop, you know, a person's legal status doesn't stop a crime from being committed. And you see the same problem in other examples when we malign large groups of people. You lose cooperation from um, you know, Muslims that might be surrounded by people who are becoming radicalized. They're less likely to cooperate and work with. In the same vein, the bad, if we're trying to truly get the bad hombres out, we need the cooperation of those in the community that know the bad hombres. Also, bad hombres, we're not condoning it. We're just using it. I'm just using it. Yeah, no, I, I don't condone it at all. I'm using it because it's become a, a very, very much part of the of the the lexicon, the, really? the Trump vernacular. Yeah, well, of, of, which is illegal limited. immigration. I mean, bad hombres is impressive for someone like right. Trump. And and again, just to kind of tail end with this issue, when you don't have that kind of community policing, which is important, ask any police officer, and they will tell you that community policing is just as important as having police officers on site to keep those crimes from happening. Not only do illegal immigrants stop working with police officers, but they themselves become victims in two, in two ways. One, now the city could start adopting more stereotypical 
um, you know, policies about who to aim for because this person might look like they might be illegal. In effect, a show me your papers law. Right. And the second part, maybe even more dangerous, is it now opens the door for people who are interested in committing a crime to aim that intent towards members of a community that has illegal immigrants within it because now those immigrants are going to be less likely to one, tell the police that a crime was committed, especially in those really heinous situations such as rape or sexual assault, and two, if that crime um, if that crime is committed, they do report, they're going to be less likely to work through the justice system, get their name out there in papers and subpoenas and court documents, and be more uh, be more exposed or have their name more exposed for fear of retribution from Governor Abbott's new bill. With that long introduction, let's um, let's let Governor Abbott talk about it for a second. I or guess two. it'd be nice to hear his. Let's words let's on hear him. it from from him, the Facebook Live star himself. I was proud last night to sign this law. This law effectively bans sanctuary cities in the state of Texas. What it means is that no county, no city. No governmental body in the state of Texas can adopt any policy uh, that provides sanctuary. Uh, second, what it means uh, is that uh, law enforcement officials such as sheriffs are going to be required to comply with ICE detainer requests. What this law is going to do is to <clears throat> engender greater cooperation between local law enforcement and federal officials so that we ensure that everybody is going to be simply following the law. Now think about this, Brian. Isn't this quasi-insane? that we have to pass a law to force law enforcement officers to comply with the law. He said he wants to uh, have greater cooperation between local law enforcement and federal officials. It seems like he missed the second part of that, which should be at the expense uh, of greater cooperation between the community and local law enforcement. By cooperation, what he meant is that um, he wants more cooperation in an effort to deport more people. Forcible cooperation. Which is the, not, it's kind of like when you're on a United flight and you don't want to leave and they want you to cooperate. It's somehow, some way you will cooperate. Yeah. Whether you have a bloody nose or not. Whether you volunteer or you get dragged out on your back and you sue them. Either way, I digress. And here's the, the big thing with this. If you find these sanctuary cities, What's going to happen is one, these sheriffs, they're going to be less likely to uh, choose the federal side over the local side because they want to be able to do their job, which needs local community cooperation, right? So this is putting sheriffs and other lo uh, local law enforcement spot. in a terrible spot of comparing where their allegiance lies. They don't want to, uh, you know, turn their backs on the federal governments, but at the same time, they don't want to antagonize the local community that they serve, and many of these people are elected. And there is a benefit for having a decision like this. If, if we're not going to pass policy on a national level, there's a benefit to having people have discretion at the local level um, to, to kind of, you know, use their discretion and knowledge of the community to enforce the, the intention of the law. And it doesn't, it doesn't mean that you either take one uh, totally different side of the spectrum or the other. It doesn't mean that you just are someone that, you know, trigger for, uh, you're just for illegal immigration. You want all the quote-unquote illegals to swarm across the border and take all of your jobs. No, what that means is you want a common sense solution to the issue, one, of illegal immigration um, in both of its aspects. One, the, the groups that are coming from other countries 
and the ones that are already here. And that doesn't mean antagonizing all of the immigrants that are already here. And it doesn't mean painting a race or a group of people with a broad brush. And we should, we should push our policy leaders to not do that because it's so counterproductive to actually solving a legitimate policy issue that faces this nation and that could make this nation greater going forward if we could solve. And I know at the beginning of the pod, we said that we were going to share with you the solution to the immigration problem, but we never realized how complicated it immigration... Just, it just caught us off guard. It was very similar it's, to healthcare. It's just so complicated. I wish I could just tell you in 30 seconds what it is, but... I can't. You know, a way that we really probably could solve the immigration problem is if, let's say, instead of having hearings about Benghazi or hearings about um, partisanship, we had congressional hearings from uh, people that work in immigration. Maybe a local sheriff or two. Who, talking about the issue. Who is in a sanctuary city, talking about why they are Maybe why about local interactions. Maybe about how they exist within a community of people who are both here illegally and people who are here um, legally. How, perhaps, how they enforce those laws. Perhaps you could have economists to talk about the benefits, the gains that uh, the economy gets from uh, the work that illegal immigrants do. Perhaps you could have an economist talk about the gains that would occur when people could come out of the shadows of society, pay the taxes that they owe, work an honest wage, go home and kiss their wife goodnight. Instead of just bringing on, uh, and this right here might be a bit of a hot take. Ooh. This would, right? instead hot of, take. Instead of parading victims of people who are illegal immigrants, out as if they were trying to just score political points. I see this happen all the time, where someone has suffered a tragic you know, crime that's been committed against them, and it was committed by someone who is an illegal immigrant. This really does two things. One, one it brings back all the memories of the crime that this person suffered, which is terrible, and they shouldn't have to relive that, especially not in front of a bunch of cameras. I'm all for this person getting the word out that, that this specific crime is bad, but what's happening is it's being twisted to say that correlation now equals causation. If you are an illegal immigrant, you are somehow more likely to cause, um, cause harm or cause some kind of crime than if you're not an illegal immigrant. Right? I know that might be a little bit to the side of the issue, but I think it is important to understand that that is one cog in this entire wheel of immigration if it's illegal is just bad. Okay, sure, but you have to do something about the issue. And we can't we can't legislate and we can't solve these complex national problems with like these rudim rudimentary thought processes. Um, and people need to be honest about the problem. And there have been bleeders that have. Um, George W. Bush George surprisingly Bush. comes to mind. Um, he knows this issue well because he was governor of Texas, a large state. Um, he had a common sense immigration policy about those who were here already getting in the back of the line, uh, paying all the taxes, paying all the back taxes that they owed, providing to society, having jobs, and then maybe after a decade or two, which is a very lengthy amount of time to wait and do everything that an American does, to then gain a, a path, not necessarily to citizenship, but a path to full legality. And Marco Rubio, even in the Senate, helped author a bill that um, unfortunately wasn't passed and put into law, but they authored a bill that had a, a pathway towards legal status. Um, but of course, that never has seen the light of day, and Marco Rubio ran far, far away from that in the primaries instead of standing for something, Marco. I'm looking at you. But 
That's the problem. This issue is not simple, but it is incredibly human. Every subtle policy choice, whether to report a following too closely citation or a speeding ticket to ICE, could lead to the deportation of a father or mother. Um, and it's a bipartisan issue. You're going to need to be able to reach across both sides of the aisle. Because this is affecting all states of all red or blue color, and it's an issue that has to be solved. Well, I think we at least were on the path, or we're on the path to solving it. We've put I, out some common sense I ideas. Mean, I think so. Which it's not like we broke any new ground. I think people innately just know that if you have more information about a topic from people that have the knowledge on the topic, then you can make a better decision on it. Exactly. But you gotta listen. You gotta listen and react in a in a way that doesn't, um, you know, lean into your worst nature. So with those two really, really general and broad statements out of the way, I think this concludes a really very meaty uh, pod. Maybe slightly less civil, but um, regardless of how you feel about it, you should rate it, review it, listen to it, and subscribe to it on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. Um, Let us cut out with something a lot more melodic than our voices, which is the sweet, sweet voice of the